Matthew's one of the Gospels. One of the Gospels that was kept in the Bible. Yes. Because a few that were thrown out. So whatever God, whatever Matthew says. He's a tax collector too. <laughs> I don't know what that says about him. I was happy. And then I met Matthew. <laughs> This oh, I can't eat this. Do you, I'll help you with that. Yes. I saw this guy with mustache. You want to taste of this one? No. No. no, no. You eat. But they will be in front of you. No. It's so simple. Let's, let, let's forget everything, okay? Kill your pianos! <laughs> <laughs> your turn. Oh, no. Your turn. Your turn. Go ahead. And then I just put hand on one of the pianos. We have a curtain which is going up and down. And then my agony starts. During the uh, Matthew's play, curtain is down like is now. Uh, I should be more serious, yeah? <laughs> it's gonna be fine. It's gonna be great. You know, uh, reverse. It doesn't. Yes. It doesn't work. Are you gonna Are you gonna uh, honk yeah. that horn on the last time? You, <laughs> you do also. Just do it. I never would have guessed I'd be having a sandwich with you off the Adriatic Sea right now. Neither would have I. In front of the curtain. In front of the curtain. And leave. Talking about the history of music. Them on the stage. <laughs> Coming from the guy who plays 15-8 time on his freaking scores. Then you hide behind the curtain and you take Matthew and you go for a second bow. 6-8 for me gets pretty dangerous. <laughs> we deserve a good pat in the shoulder. I feel like because of the music sharing experience there's already a connection. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> That's how we met. <laughs> the rest is history. <laughs> Hello and welcome to another episode of the Going Solo Podcast. My name is Matthew Mayer. Thank you so much for earbutting us. And before we get to my, my guest here, please be sure, if you have not done so already, to connect with me on social media, at Mayor Solo Piano on Twitter, and at Mayor Solo Piano on Facebook. And please, if you haven't done so, go to our Going Solo podcast page on iTunes, on Stitcher, on any of these funny name websites that host these podcast apps. Uh, please leave a review, leave a comment, say hi, uh, send some chocolate chip cookies if you want, whatever, whatever you want to do. But uh, anyway, I am so pumped uh, to be speaking to my guest today, who is Doug Diamond. Now, Doug is an engineer, a producer, music supervisor, and has been writing, recording, mixing, and mastering music for most of his life with over 25 years of experience in the industry. Doug is also a former staff engineer at the world-famous Oceanway Recording in Los Angeles, and I also thought this was super cool. He completed his music business master certification from the Berkeley College of Music between 2010 and 2012. Now, Doug has worked with literally the best in the industry. This list is long. It goes on and on. But just a couple of these folks include Natalie Cole, Bonnie Raitt, Stevie Nicks, the B-52s, Michael Bolton, um, even Michael Jackson. I mean, it's it's amazing. So to say it's an honor to have Doug on the Going Solo podcast is, is truly an understatement. He is the Senior VP and Director 
of music acquisition and licensing for music ops of musicops.com, which is a division of White Knight Worldwide Media. So, Mr. Doug Diamond, thank you sincerely for being with me on the Going Solo podcast today. Thank you, Matthew. It's been it's been a uh, really great time for me personally just getting to know you through email so it's super great to get to talk to you finally for sure so I'm, I'm, I, real, I'm very excited yeah yeah i um you're so professional and how you reach out because i know you have to reach out to a ton of independent artists one of the things that attracted me to you was man this guy's like really <laughs> he's really putting thought into actually i feel like i'm i'm talking to a real person Mm-hmm. on email. So thank you for that. Because every time you've replied to me, I'm like, man, I know this guy's busy, but he's actually thinking about what I wrote and actually putting thought into the reply, which as you know, in this industry, sometimes you don't get. Yeah, not usually. I like to try and answer emails the way I would answer a phone call. And that is to give you my undivided attention, at least during that five minutes or 15 minutes or however long it takes me to compose the email. You know, uh, email is is a nice um sort of magic tool that we all have and that we all utilize. And I think we all take it for granted, but it's really good to have, um, actual phone conversation, um, abilities as well. And I try to translate my, my phone conversations into email as, as, as quickly and as, um, astutely as, as possible, obviously. Yeah. It's so apparent because I've, I've listened to some of your other interviews as well and you definitely, you can definitely tell that sincerity. And and you're right, especially in this day and age, you know, everyone talks about how busy they are and we've all got these crazy demands and we're, we're mm-hmm. going through our lists, but there is something to be said about a thoughtful communication still within that. And um, yeah. If someone were to ask, and this is a first question I love to ask people, um, because you've done so many things, and you know you're also your own composer, and you've composed, I believe I read on um, PBS on some things there. If someone were to ask yeah. you, who is Doug Diamond? How how are you going to answer that question? It's hard to define yourself. Um, mm. I don't really define myself by the work I've done or the things that I continue to do, whether it be in the in the current or in the past. I first and foremost give glory and honor to my Savior Jesus Christ. I'm, I'm a Christian first, and I'm not very many other things um, very good all the time, and I'm certainly not a Christian very good. I don't do that very well all the time either. And uh, you know, I, I would I would like to be remembered as somebody who tried to follow the Lord and tried to do um, His will in my life. And I've I've failed more times than I've succeeded for sure, but. Um, I guess that's how I would define it. You know, I, I'm, I have the privilege of being able to enjoy what I do for a living. So I think that's great, but that doesn't make me a human being, it, mm. you know, God made me a human being. So I guess I would answer it that way. I don't know if that's right or wrong, but that's how I would answer it for sure. It's almost not necessarily what you're doing every day. It's the how and then. Yeah, and I think it's important to just be be the best that you can be, whether you're a janitor or whether you're mm-hmm. a garbage person or whether you're a quantum physicist. It doesn't really matter. You just do do the best you can and try and honor God as, as much mm-hmm. as possible. So thinking about describing yourself in that way, and then so um, obviously with all of your successes, one of them is in um, is obviously your career of music licensing. Was music licensing... Was that something you said, hey, I always have wanted to do this, or 
these serendipitous event, events led you to more of a career in that? Yeah, it was definitely the latter for sure. Mm-hmm. I didn't I didn't start out by saying, yes, I definitely want to be involved in licensing and doing paperwork. No, <laughs> I did not do that. <laughs> no, what happened was um, you mentioned the Berkeley years and yeah. I, I was I did the Berkeley online program and had a lot of fun with that. And, you know, I did that a little bit later in life. I'd already been fairly successful doing mastering and and the recording side, but I didn't feel like I was well-rounded enough to actually know what was going on in the rest of the music business. So I felt like I really needed to go through some sort of a all-encompassing system. And the Berkeley program was the, the, it was the music business master certification that I went through. And in that program, in one of the classes I took was music supervision. And that's where I really learned about licensing and it, it interested me and when I took the class, that's when I started realizing, hey, I'm already sort of doing some of the creative mm-hmm. side of this. I just didn't really know it was necessarily called music supervision at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, so that got me involved in being more interested in it. Yeah, it's it's been a neat a neat process, and I I never would have necessarily seen myself involved in licensing, but but yeah, it's um it's an it's a neat career path. I've enjoyed it. I still. I'm still doing the mastering stuff, the technical stuff, uh, a good chunk of my day. And then I'm also wearing the music supervisor hat part of my day as well. So it just depends on the moment, really. (laughs) If an artist came to you that's just starting out at any point in their career and say, Doug, what is music licensing? How, How would you describe that at the most fundamental level? Well, licensing can be a number of different things, but the idea is... It's someone who would like to use your track, your song, in some sort of usually visual production. And it mm. could be a film, it could be a scene in a film, it could be a commercial, television commercial, web commercial, book trailer, it could be um, a video game, it could be a television show, you name it. So that, the licensing aspect comes into play when you have um, your song that someone wants to use with that visual medium Mm. and they're willing to pay you a fee to synchronize your song with their visual. So they will pay you a fee for that. Now, it might be anywhere from, you know, a couple hundred dollars or less or even gratis up to tens of thousands of dollars. It just totally depends on the budget. It depends on uh, where the... Uh, the visual is going to end up, whether it's a video game or if it's a um, film or TV show or whatever. It just depends on where where it's going. Um, Network TV would pay uh, more, most likely, than a cable show, for instance. But the point is, is that someone is is would be interested in paying you an upfront fee to license or um, sync your song to their visual. Because for whatever reason, it works perfectly in in the context of their their visual production. And, and I want to talk about musicops.com for sure, because for those for all of our listeners, um, if you especially artists, if you're interested, definitely go to musicops.com and and check out that service. Um, what would you say, Doug, are th- the myths that you hear the most? Um, since you are also a composer and you've seen both sides, what, what would you say the top myths that you hear of music licensing are? Well, one of them would just be that 
I think a lot of artists, not all, but many artists are overwhelmed with it and don't really understand it. And they just want their manager or whoever else to handle it. And they want to go back to creating music. Mm. So I think there's, there's definitely a sense or a myth of, I just want to do my music and I'm going to push the business aspect of it off to someone else. Mm. And that's when the artist gets taken advantage of. So you really need to understand the music business side of your business because uh. when you're a songwriter, you're in business. That's I mean, right. there's there's a business side to what you're doing and there's a creative side to what you're doing. And if you don't understand both sides down the road somewhere, you're going to get taken advantage of most likely. That's right. Yeah. So that's one of the things that came to mind um, as far as any other myths. Um, I think there's a myth as to maybe the amount of money that's out there that's available to somebody who is just starting out as a as a newbie type of artist when you get your if you have some interest in getting your song licensed don't go for broke don't go for the moon most likely you're you're going to you're going to get turned away if you if you even go beyond asking for what is over their budget so if you're offered x for the placement say it's $250 and yep. you and you hold out for no i think i want $350 or $500 <laughs> Right. There's a good chance you're shooting yourself in the foot because they'll just move on to someone else because they will find someone that will do it for the 250 that, and that 250 is within their budget because that's what they can pay. So I think that's that definitely gets artists. They they figure, well, it's now it's windfall time because somebody wants my song, I can really stick it to them. Nope, there's a good chance you're not going to even get to play the game if that's what you end up doing. Now, later on, if you're a bigger, more established artist, you can probably do that and still get paid. But when you're starting out, you certainly can't. That's what I've found. A lot of artists do fall for that one, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And it costs them their first placement a lot of times. It's good to know, you know, a lot of times as a newbie type artist, you're not going to know what the budget is for something like that. And you'll just hear a number that's that's given to you either from a music supervisor or from somebody that's handling the licensing. And they'll say, we have this amount of money to pay you. And then, you know, if you try and hold out for more, a lot of times you'll get passed over. So it just behooves you, I think, to to understand how it really works and to know that for the most part, you know, music supervisors aren't trying to take advantage of you. They want mm-hmm. you they want to pay you. It's just that they don't their their hands are tied to a certain degree because they only have a, a budget to work with. That's X amount of dollars. And maybe they have to license you know, 50 songs for this production and they can only afford to pay so much a song or maybe maybe they've got of those 50 songs, two or three are really top name stuff that they pay m- the, the bulk of their budget for and then they have whatever's left over they can distribute amongst the, the newer artists. So you just have to maybe ask some questions if you're not sure if you're getting paid for something that is um, fair or not. But I don't really like the word fair. I like equitable. Equitable, Mm. to me, makes a lot more sense because stuff can be fair or not fair all day long. But if it's equitable, then it's good for you and it's good for me both. So you have to kind of weigh that as an artist. And also you have to figure out it as an artist. You've already done the work as far as writing the song and and, and producing and recording it. It's just sitting there. So you're probably not not doing nothing else. In other words, you're, you're not just sitting around waiting for that one song that you recorded that's super great to make you a fortune. You're probably also writing other songs, most likely. So you've kind of already moved on from that, and you've got that one song sitting there that could be making money for you, so why not let it? 
whether it's a hundred bucks or ten thousand bucks, whatever it is. So so just kind of go with the flow and know that for the most part, music supervisors and people doing the licensing are not trying to take advantage of you. Now there are there are bad apples as well. Don't get me wrong. Sure, sure. But for the most part, people are trying to do what they can for you, and um, it's definitely best to try to um, weigh your options and see if it's worth it. And also, you have to look at the actual opportunity itself. Is it going to grow your brand? Is it going right. to help you with what you're trying to accomplish as an artist, or is it going to hurt you? If it's going to hurt you, then no amount of money they can give you. Is gonna, it's not going to be worth it anyways. So That's if it's right. $10,000 and it's for a terrible scene in a, in a movie that you don't want to be associated with, you're just, you should turn it down, not take the money. I mean, that's what I would do. And that's really, that's really difficult to do for a lot of people, especially if they're just starting out. So you just have to look at everything. And it definitely is, like I said, going back to the business side of it, you, you really need to know what's going on with both the creative and the business side. And, and, um, also, just keep in mind, too, that the, the creative aspect of the producers, the editors, the music supervisors, they're working on a tight budget, but even more so, they're working on a tighter schedule, and they right. don't need an answer pretty fast, or they will just move on. I mean, it's usually that, that simple. couple things there. If an artist were to put themselves in someone like your shoes with limited time, you have a limited budget. So if I were in those shoes and I had, say, 30 requests come in for a specific opportunity that's out there, and like you said, if an artist is even demanding that that $100 more or, or just is coming off as difficult to work with, why would you want to engage more with that artist if you've got 30 other submissions on the table that, that are willing to work within your time and not make it a stress on your end as well. Yeah, that that is so true, and I I deal with that every single day. I can only you know, imagine. <laughs> I have artists. I have artists that I, I I like trading emails with, but they and they have good music, you know. Yeah. But for whatever reason, it's just they're they're difficult to deal with, and it, and I know it's going to be more like pulling my hair trying to get right. what I need out of them versus doing something quickly. So I would, you know, I hate to say it, but a lot of times you just have to move on and, and ask someone else. But, um, but yeah, it, it's, it's definitely, you know, it's sort of a personality issue for sure. It just, right. um, it definitely as an artist makes you, if you're easy to work with, it makes it easier to find work. I guess mm. it's, that's the way, the way I could think about saying it at least is, is, I so um, agree with that point. Yeah, because if you're making it hard for someone else, they're not going to want to work with you. They might work with you the first time because right. maybe they have to, but after that, you won't get the call next time. So you just have to keep and, that in mind. And that goes back to what you said that also fits in with long-term, right, and not looking at it short-term. So example, yeah, you might be able to get paid that $10,000, but it could be placed in this scene that actually long-term does more harm it's not the best for your brand. And in this situation as well, are you wanting to negotiate a hundred more dollars because, you know, and I get it, I, I'm, as a musician, yeah. it's it's great to be paid for your craft for sure. But that also goes back to what you said, as a musician, it is a business and who do you want to do business with long-term? Yep, some people don't really need a reason to not work with you, so don't don't give them even more reasons minimize your reasons to give somebody not to work with you yeah yeah that's so you're easy to work with then you can certainly keep working i mean that that's that's what i found at least 
And it's, it's funny because that sounds fundamental and basic. At the end of the day, it still seems like that is a bread and butter um, recipe for long-term success. So I, I just really appreciate you making that point. It's, um, sure, yeah. Which leads me into this question. When does an artist need to look hard in the mirror and, and have, have that bluntly honest come to reality with myself that says, listen, Matt, you can't be submitting this. Like, I know you think this is the best thing since sliced bread and everyone should hear it. But when does an artist need to get to the point where they need to say, I need to give up? Maybe it's just on this particular song. Or what clues should we look for as artists that say, you know what, you need to do a different approach. Maybe that's musically, maybe that's how you communicate. But I guess, is it a certain number of times you get turned down? Or is it... I really need to pay attention to what this feedback is and getting those inputs from multiple people. Um, I think it's the latter. I don't, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily keep count of the number, number of times you get turned down because it's going to be more, more than not most likely, even the bigger names. Um, I definitely think that if you're starting out an option like on music ops, there's a um, service called feedback it's called a feedback service. And um, I would recommend doing something like that where you can get a, uh, a music business licensing type of person like myself who, would, who can give you honest feedback on what you're doing and whether or not this particular song will work in the context of a licensing scenario. Sometimes um, it's just a matter of picking the right song. Like you could be, you know, an average songwriter and still have one really great song that might work in 20 different things. I mean, it just depends. Um, Because we've got some artists that, you know, when I hear their name or see their email come across, I'm like, oh, I remember their song. But they don't necessarily have other songs that have followed that one up. To me, that's that one song is kind of what defines them in my mind. But that doesn't mean that they're not a legitimate artist. That just means that's what I think of. So there are certainly um, good feedback type of mechanisms. The feedback service on Music Ops is good. Also, um, on Broadjam, broadjam broadjam.com, I'm a pro reviewer on there, and people can can go on there and ask for me or anyone else. There's, you know, 20 other guys on there, 20 other people on there, men and women, who you can ask for feedback for feedback for a pro review, yeah, you do have to pay a little bit of money, but yep. you're you're engaging that person's time and they're usually going to be doing something else and not just sitting around waiting for you to submit you submit music to them. So, um you're you know, you're paying for a little bit of their time and usually it's worth it, I would say if you're just starting out. Maybe something like that would be good. If you're looking for free options, then um obviously Whoever you can get your music in front of the most um, who would be helpful, like at a conference or something, maybe Um, something like that might be. And that probably wouldn't be free because it's going to cost you to get into the into the conference. But, you know, there are there are options that are free, but don't be stingy because it's your it is your career and spending a few bucks is an investment in your future. So why not get someone who knows what they're talking about to, to honestly critique what you're doing and give you feedback on it versus just hoping that you're getting your music in front of the right person. Like, I don't, I don't know how many times I've done broad jam pro reviews for people who submitted me, have submitted songs 
for me to listen to and do a review on. And it, it a lot of times ends up in, I give them my email address so that they can stay in touch with me. And, um, you know, that way we stay in touch and it could be that a year from now they've got mm. something that's really great. You know, maybe they're not quite ready yet, but there are definitely those types of relationships that you can build as an artist. Um, so you should definitely see if you can find some um, opportunities like that that require either little money or um, if it's expensive, then make sure it's the right thing. Like, again, I would heartily, heartily recommend Rajam Pro reviewing um, feedback on Music Ops, those two in particular. Um, but there are other options out there. You know, if, if you... Um, if you're trying to get your music in front of a music supervisor who's who's steadily working, do not do this. Do not find their email address and attach an MP3 mm-hmm. and email it to them. <laughs> do not ever do that. Mm. And I'm I'm dead serious yep. because the the first thing that happens is you go on the naughty list. Mm. And that music supervisor, if you're filling up their in their inbox, even with the, even if it's just a three megabyte MP3 file, it doesn't matter. It's going to hit the trash. They're not going to listen to it mm. because chances are it's not going to fit what they're what they need at that moment anyway. And they weren't expecting it. So that makes it unsolicited. And I had to on my LinkedIn profile, I had to go and put in big bold letters on there, no unsolicited submissions because mm. I constantly had people messaging me trying to send me their links. And uh, wanted to email me their MP3s and stuff. And I just had to tell them, no, I'm sorry, I don't have time. It's not that I don't want to hear your super great music. Right. I'm sure it's the best song ever. Right. But I don't have time. Right. And if you want to go through the parameters that I've put in place, and that is submitting submitting for, through Music Ops, I will listen to your song. And I, I would love to hear it, but I don't have time to listen to everything that comes in. And and. Music supervisors are pretty much going to be that way across the board unless they're just not working for whatever reason. They might listen to it for free, but then it, it may not really, if they're not working, it may not really matter if they hear it or not. Yeah. <laughs> so, because if they're not working, they're not going to help you out. But um, definitely do not send an email, a blind, cold email, like a cold call, like these cold call, um, phone calls, cold calls, when you pick up the phone and call somebody you don't know and try and sell them something. Right. Um, don't do that with your songs. You're actually hurting yourself more than you're helping them. So at the very least, send them an email ahead of time and ask if you can submit. And they may say yes. Chances are they won't, but they may. Um, so you can always start with that and just see if you can get you know, free, um, free advice on whatever it is with your song that, that you maybe have a question about, especially if you have a specific question about your song. Like, for instance, um, you've got this song... I want to know, is the hook in this song catchy enough mm. to work in an NBA um, NBA films or NBA um, production, like, like the National Basketball Association? Or, right. or would it work in context of FIFA soccer? Would the hook be good enough to be in something like that? You're asking more of a specific question, and that's almost like a yes or no, that some people could actually make time to give you. And, and it would probably be more than a yes or no. But if it's if it's perceived as a yes or no question to the person that you're asking, they may be more willing to do it versus just giving them a nebulous. Here's my song. Tell me what you think. That's right. probably the worst thing to do because they're they're probably not going to like it almost immediately. 
And I hate to say it, but that's that that happens to me all the time. People will send me links and they'll be like, please listen to my music. And I just have to tell them, I'm sorry, I don't have time. It's not that I don't want to hear it. But, um, you know, I do have a structure in place. And if you go around that structure, it doesn't really uh, obligate me to listen to your track. Right. And it's not that I don't want to. It's just that I simply don't have enough hours in the day to do that for everybody. It reminded me of uh, solopiano.com when people are – when I have a process in place for people to submit and I'm getting into this, you know, I'm, I'm hearing from an artist, well, I, you know, can't you just accept it this way or why can't I just send you this or this? And I am thinking, yep, you probably have great music, but dude, I've got 20 albums here that are literally on my desk that I have to review and I don't, I don't have time to get into this conversation. Yeah. You know? You're, um, yeah. You're doing what I'm doing. Yeah. That's, base, the, that's the same it, thing. And so, yeah. Um, so I really appreciate the the point on the nebulous ask and just stressing if if anyone gets anything out of this podcast, just stressing that one point when working um, when working with supervisors, do not load up emails and saying, Hey, check this out, here's my MP3, da da da. It's great, it's the best thing, yada yada yada. Like what is yeah. your incentive to do that when your demand is probably from multiple different clients with a limited budget like that's what the music supervisor or doug is thinking is mm -hmm. here's yep. my demand here's my limited resource but yeah yeah exactly follow the process follow what you've outlined and you're at least getting you're at least getting your hat in the ring yeah and um one other thing one other way of thinking about the pay to submit um model and this is for either feedback or pro uh, broad jam pro review type things or even more specifically to a music ops where we have um, you pay fifteen dollars generally to submit a track to a certain opportunity and your song doesn't go into a, a black hole what happens is um, in our in our case you are making a binding monetary contract between mm. us and you and that is mm. to listen to your song and to provide some sort of feedback now if you don't pay anything i'm not obligated to listen mm. if you pay a little bit of money i'm obligated to listen you see the difference oh, i totally do it's so you, you almost described it as a protection for the artist yeah so and also it it helps curb the I'm going to send everything I've ever written to this guy right. mentality. And that's, that's what we don't need. Uh, you know, right. we need highly targeted songs for certain opportunities. I don't want to hear everything you've written. I want to hear the song that I need for this opportunity. Right. And so you have to keep that in mind too, is, is um, you, you have to kind of play to, okay, what is it that the music supervisor or the music licensing agency or company, um, what is it that they need for that particular placement and you're creating a binding contract with them by them accepting your payment. They're not trying to stiff you for $15. They're trying to make sure you don't oversend more songs because you have, you have to pay the $15 every time right. or whatever it is th that you're not sending so many songs that you're, you're loading them down, you know, which you would be if it was free. And then again, you're not, as the recipient, you're not really obligated to listen to anything if it comes in free. So that's what I tell people as well. I'm also going to be able to get feedback on the track that, hmm, I read this opportunity. 
um, of the tracks that I have. Here are the ones that I think most closely fit and yeah. then submitting within the process that's outlined on that service. Perfect. That's exactly what we're looking for. I mean, that that attitude and mentality is what we're looking for. I don't need an email that comes to me that says, you know, I've got this song and I've got, you know, thousands of others too. I mean, right. that doesn't really tell me anything. You know, you might have one good song out of 2,000. How do I know? Exactly. So I don't really care how many songs you've written. I care about the good ones that I could actually put to use. So, And again, placing that because, like, to your point, and the reason for that sounds like it's because there is a specific ask. Because you, you have this other side of delivering for a client. Yes. Right? Exactly. And, and that's why you want... So... When I think yeah, and that it, brings up. Let me. Let me. Yeah, please. Before we move on, that brings up another great point. I I'm obligated to to give my client what they're looking for, what they need for their opportunity. I can't just send them stuff that I only half believe in, right? Because that makes me look bad. Ex- that's so. If I yes. want, if I want to um, continue working with this particular client, I can't give them a bunch of garbage. Right. I have to give them only the best stuff so that they will want to keep working with me. So that means I have to get only your best stuff. But that's any good business model, right? Yeah, there, right? exactly. That, exactly. That succeeds. And um, so, yes, thank you for saying that because then it also reminds us as artists that it makes that $15 seem pretty inconsequential. Like it seems pretty yeah. like a moot point for the artist. Like if they're like, well, geez, they just want to make all these $15 or $5 or $20 charges. Well, no, it's to your point, you're, you're protecting both sides, but you're ultimately wanting right. to make the best because you want them to come back. Yeah, we want, we want our client to come back. We want you as an artist to come back as well yes. and continue using our site because when you do, you're getting some sort of valuable feedback right. for what you're submitting. So you may have a song that's totally off base, doesn't work for any current open opportunities and we'll tell you that. I mean, right. I will write that in an email. I'll say, you know, I really like the production value of your song. It sounds great, but the hook isn't quite strong enough and the vocal needs to be, you know, kind of ironed out and made a little bit better. Or maybe the um, performances were all great and the production value wasn't that great. So right. I, I tell you that in an, in an email back to you if we can't or don't choose not to pitch um, your song for whatever opportunity and then again, just because you think your song works for a specific opportunity, when you send it to me, I may not necessarily think it works for that, but it might work for this, this right. other thing, right? Or maybe two or three other things. We so we sometimes we'll we'll cross pitch things that come in. So you pay you pay the one fifteen dollar fee, and we may cross pitch it to three other different things. Now we don't guarantee that, and we don't say that we do that all the time for everyone because we don't. Right. But some some songs come in are so good that we know it'll work with X, Y, and Z in addition to A, B, and C. So we'll pitch it for all those things. So, um, you know, that's one, one way to look at it. You may be spending 15 bucks, but you might get hundreds of dollars worth of actual submissions just depending on um, your song and the usability of it from a sync standpoint. The, the other thing that has come up from... Um just terminology that's come up within music licensing is exclusive versus non-exclusive. And I know it's probably hard to make a blanket statement on this, but like if an artist is with say CD baby or TuneCore or whatever, 
for the most part, are most opportunities going to be non-exclusive or should an artist be open to an exclusive opportunity? And when should an artist say, you know what? I know if this is an exclusive, it's just for this, but that could be the best thing for this song. Yeah, that's a good question. The exclusive thing is really difficult and I don't really deal with too many exclusives. Now, um, non-exclusive means that you are totally free to take your song and use it in any context and try and make money with it in any way you can in addition to this particular opportunity that you're that you're um, pitching it for. For instance, um, at Music Ops, we don't have anything that's exclusive. Everything's non-exclusive. So if you submit a song to um, a sports television placement or to our Netflix opportunity or mm. to one of our production company type opportunities or something, it's all non-exclusive. So if your song makes it into being pitched and then eventually makes it, makes it into a television show or video game, that's non-exclusive. So you're not your, your song's making money there, but you're still free to use it however you want. And if you want to pitch it for other things, you're totally welcome to do that, and you should. So I like non-exclusive. That's the way to go, and especially for um, licensing where if you are the music buyer, not the seller, but if you're the buyer, non-exclusive is far cheaper, obviously, because then you're only paying you know, either sure. – gratis or a few hundred or a few thousand dollars versus what could be tens of thousands of dollars to get exclusive licenses because it could be really expensive. So that's my thoughts on that. But non-exclusive is my favorite just because that's the world that I work in. But exclusive has its place as long as it's the right thing. There's been a lot of takeaways, you know, for me of this uh, in this, but going back to how you are approaching um, from a business standpoint, because ultimately you're you're trying to be a good partner, right? Like you're trying to, this is a partnership. If a musician wants to submit to music ops and, and develop that, there is a partnership forming there that hopefully isn't just a one-time deal that it could be a year from now. It could be two years from now. Um, I I can't tell you how many examples that just personally of things that have happened that, yeah, that was a song I wrote in 2003 and, and mm-hmm. that's the one that has over a half a million views on YouTube that because someone put it on t- 2010. Like, wow. It, it, you don't know what that seed's going to grow into. Um, and we have, we have licensing deals that happen that way too. Like, we'll, we'll get a song in um, and then pitch it for something. And maybe that something came and went, but it's still sitting there yeah. in our client's inbox. And then six months from now, they contact us about it and say, hey, we really want this track. And that happens quite a bit, actually. Mm. So that's that, uh, and that, one of those interesting things that, you know, your $15 invested today might really bring dividends next year. So it, we don't, you don't really know. That's a true investment right there. Because yeah, another yeah. example of not only the opportunity existing, there's like a timing perspective to all of this as well that yep. has to happen. Um, and so, Wow. As a next step, obviously, um, you know, for all of our listeners that that are interested in in music licensing and submitting opportunities, please do go to musicops.com. That's M-U-S-I-C-O-P-P-S.com. Um, Doug, where could they find you, um, either through Music Ops or um, or are you on social media? Again, I'm not. I, I don't want people sending you MP3s here, so I want to make sure that I get <laughs> that straight. Yes, exactly. No, I'm I'm pretty active on social media. Um, my 
my music business social media stuff is primarily focused on LinkedIn and Twitter. Okay. And you can find me on LinkedIn at Diamond Disc Audio, and there's one D between Diamond and Disc, Diamond Disc Audio. Perfect. And on Twitter, I'm just at Diamond Disc, D-I-A-M-O-N-D-I-S-C. Gotcha. So I'm pretty active on there, and I put the um, music ops opportunities as they arise. I was going to say, put those I've, on there and, I've, uh, I've been on your Twitter, and you do put those. It's, it's pretty cool because you can see the opportunities that do come up. Um, yeah. And, and, and the success stories. Exactly. And so it's what I like about um, following you there is that I see that, you know, how many of our characters and then I go to music ops and say, OK, hey, there's the, you know, showtime credit opportunity that might be good for this. And then thinking yeah. it that way. So, Doug, I again, um, thank you so much. I, I know your You're time well. is super valuable and I was this is, it is but it's been fun it's fun. been a lot of fun i'm uh, i'm energized um this is a great opportunity for independent artists if they go about yep. it the right way if we we as art and i say they because i'm an independent artist as well but if you go about it the right sure. way i mean you've made a living off of this and it seems like if you're if you do those block and tackling fundamental things in the long run things will work out well for you Absolutely. And just one final thought here. Yeah, please. Coming coming from a music supervisor standpoint, I anytime I talk on a panel or something like that, I always say this statement because to me it really drives the point home. And as an artist, I think you can definitely understand this. And that is, as a music supervisor, my job is not to find a place for your song. My job is to find a song for the place. So... To me, that's really important because I have the place to work with. I have to find the perfect song for it versus you having the songs and you're trying to find a place for it. So it's it's almost a, the, a 180 of what you think. It is exact. Yes, it's so well put because you're right. It is a 180 because you are literally I picture you. I picture you facing the artist. Well, at first you're facing your customer and saying, OK, customer, what's your needs analysis, yada, yada, yada. And then turning to 180, and now you're facing the artist saying, okay, what opportunities are out there? But ultimately, you need to turn back around, find that song for that placement. Yep. And if exactly. an artist can think of it in that lens, maybe we will also approach it in a way that helps you deliver that in the best way. Yeah. That's exactly what we're looking for. Thank you, Matthew. It's been oh, fun. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, wow, man, I've, I've just had a ton Shit. of fun talking to you. Thank you for these insights. And um, again, everyone, check out musicops.com. Um, check out Doug Diamond, all that on social media, LinkedIn. We will uh, hopefully uh, circle back again. Yeah, anytime. I'd be happy to talk to you. Thank you so much for listening to the Going Solo Podcast. This is Matthew Mayer. I really appreciate you listening. Uh, please reach out to me at Mayor Solo Piano on Twitter, at Mayor Solo Piano on Facebook. Make sure you check out the Going Solo podcast. Share it with your friends, your family, your foes, and your dog, your cat, and your turtle. Until then, keep going. This is Matthew Mayer. I'll see you on the next episode.